You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan and Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. Everybody needs data. Every single organization, every career you would find, anybody on UNC's campus, any, anywhere any of these folks are going to be getting jobs, they're going to need data, they're going to need to know how to analyze it, and that's what we do in sociology. And my research on sex trafficking started based on a, a relationship and some volunteering that I was doing with an organization called Free Our Girls in our local community. When I had met uh, Megan, the executive director of Free Our Girls, it was, it was because she had asked me as a gender scholar to serve on a panel during Empathy Week. And she was a Reicher scholar when she was at UNC, so she got to help put on an event and promote it. Uh, and and it, was, it had to be for a cause that, was, uh, that she was passionate about and that was sex trafficking. She was, she is a trafficking survivor, so she was trafficked earlier in her life, actually fairly recently. So she was passionate about this, and this really was the event where I, my eyes were ex, you know, opened to the reality of, of the issue, particularly in Northern Colorado. A lot of folks don't realize that sex trafficking is affecting our community in a very big way. And that's really when I started to learn about it and then I wanted to, to get more involved. So I volunteered and I helped Megan. I had her come speak into my classes. And once I got to know her a lot better, we talked about the data needs that her organization has. Um, so Free Our Girls does direct services. So she works with uh, both victims and survivors. So victims are those who are still being trafficked and then survivors are those who are out, they've exited. So she does direct service work with those women and she has a network of over, I believe, 1600 women across the country. And it's because of that sort of requisite experience, she's a survivor, right? So they trust her and she's built this amazing network and these amazing programs and services, but she didn't have data to show that what she was doing was working. She also, because it's so difficult for any researcher in any institution to get access to victims and survivors of sex trafficking. I mean, it's a really difficult topic to study because data is so hard to come by. It's a, a pretty big wall to sort of to break down. It's hidden, it's underground, it's difficult to document. She had a lot of questions about, she's a natural researcher, and she had a lot of questions about how all of this happened, how it all went down, how these women f were functioning in for lack of a better term in this life so we developed this we developed a survey first and we launched the survey and we had excellent results and we had qualitative pieces in there and then last summer i launched using um an, an internal grant that i was awarded from unc i, I launched a, a big qualitative study and i interviewed 54 women um, about 40 percent of those were victims so they were still being trafficked so scheduling interviews was interesting. We had to make sure that their trafficker wasn't in the home and wasn't around and that they were gonna be safe when they were talking to me and telling me their story. And then the rest of them were survivors and, and women who had been out for a while. So as a research agenda, it really 
was built from an organization and an organization's needs. So really community-based and engaged and based on my interest in in helping this community and, and being passionate about gender equality. So this is a new area of research for me, um, but the survey we launched, we wanted to know, and this was last spring, we wanted to know how women got involved in the game. We wanted to know what was the most common method of them entering what, quote unquote, the life. Um, because there's a, there's a pretty big misconception that people are abducted. If you hear the word trafficking, even if it's not sex trafficking, um, usually what folks think of or what they conjure up in their minds is somebody was kidnapped, put in a shipping container, put on a boat and taken to another country and dropped off. And that like 90% of the time, that is not what happens. Um, so Megan wanted data to, to prove that. And lo and behold, we got a, a lot of survey data and, um, and qualitative interview data to show that that's actually not the case. Um, so our sample in total, including the survey respondents and the interviews, about 94. And um, the vast majority of the women that we talked to um, were boyfriended in. What that means is they, you know, were swept off their feet by Romeo or, or what have you. And usually traffickers take... I don't know, anywhere between a year, 18 to months to two years, anywhere in there to do what we call um, groom their victims. So they'll buy them anything they want. They'll promise them the sky and then some. And it all sounds too good to be true, but the woman is falling in love. The girl is falling in love with this man. And um, over time, and, and a common story that I heard in some of the interviews was um, he finally said, you know what, I've treated you so well. I think it's about about time. And, and, and this big move out here that we just made um, or whatever large expense might have just occurred, we really need to start paying, um, paying that off. So I know a way that you can make some really quick money. I know you're really good at it because we've slept together before. So why do this for free when you can make like $100 a trick, right? Um, I heard that so often and uh, and it works. It is a very successful tactic that traffickers use. They boyfriend a girl in, they sweep her off her feet, promise her the world, and then things get, times get tough, quote unquote tough. And um, usually what happens then is there's physical, emotional, sexual abuse, death threats, obviously. Um, and there's manipulation because what the trafficker does is he finds out enough over that you know, year to 18 months to two years, he finds out enough about her that he can threaten her family. He can threaten any number of things that are really meaningful to her. And he capitalizes on those vulnerabilities. The majority of folks, if they end up doing what we refer to in the life as choosing up or they chose up, meaning they, um, they enter um, voluntarily and, and enter the commercial sex trade voluntarily, chances are there was some manipulation somewhere along the way. Um, and if there wasn't manipulation by a trafficker, one of the other really interesting things about the data is um, upwards of 90% of my sample had experienced sexual abuse, sexual assault, or rape at some point in their history. So what's really interesting about that is traffickers can sense that. A lot of women told me in the interviews, I felt like I had a marquee sign on my head that said, I know how to keep my mouth shut and I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll take the abuse because I've been abused before. 
Um, I haven't interviewed any traffickers, but I heard that over and over from the women that they felt like because they had experienced that, there was some sort of target on their back. It confirms previous research that, you know, between 80 and 90% of all trafficking victims, and I think you could say the same relatively, the same about sex workers have experienced that sexual abuse or sexual assault or rape. So that tells you a lot about um, how traffickers prey on the weak and um, manipulate their, um, their life circumstances and their um, vulnerabilities. One of the first things I learned about Megan that I was so impressed by was how she, as a survivor, and she actually started to figure this out while she was still in the game, but as a survivor, she's developed this theory that traffickers are like cult leaders. So cult leaders will prey on folks' vulnerabilities to try to get them to do what they want them, you know, what they want them to do. That is by far and away the most common way that um, folks get uh, enter into the life or the game as victims. They'll control them psychologically, they'll beat them down. Some will get their, their victims addicted to drugs so that they need the trafficker to get their next fix. I think I only did two interviews in person. The rest were on the phone because they were scattered all across the country. Um, recently, in May, I also gathered data at a John school. Do you know where John school is? So if men are arrested for buying sex, um, and it depends on the jurisdiction and what the options are, but there was a sting. You may have heard about it in Larimer County in, I believe, October or November. So um, undercover sting, and they set up and they send text messages to these guys, and they pretend that they're going to be engaging in a commercial sex act, the guys show up and then they get arrested, right? So depending on the jurisdiction and depending on the fine, they will fine them or require them to go to John school because the term that we use in this area for um, a buyer is a John, um, a trick or a John. So they call it John school. So John school um, is usually part of your first time being arrested when um, you're arrested for um, trying to buy commercial sex. So I gathered data at a John school in Fort Collins in May and it was fascinating. There were 25 men there and from you know, actually a pretty diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds. And my two graduate students and I sat in on the curriculum and we watched a documentary together that was extremely <laughs> difficult to watch. And we listened to the men discuss it. And the whole point of it, it's called the First Offender Restoration Initiative. And it's led by a licensed um, ther therapist, counselor, he's amazing. Um, the point of it is to restore men back into healthy members of a community and to really make them aware that this isn't a victimless crime. So part of the curriculum for the day um, was involving, it ha they had a survivor speak, they had Megan speak and tell her story. And part of her story, she brings Mother's Day cards, birthday cards uh, from her parents, um, cards from her kids, and she shows them like, this is me. I didn't wanna be doing this. I'm, I'm, I, I was doing this by force and fraud and coercion. I, didn't want to be with you. It, it was this was not a victimless crime, and she tries to really bring it down to earth um, and and make the discussion feel real. And it's very impactful the way that they do it um, in this John School in particular.
My name is Angie Henderson and I'm a professor of sociology. If anyone is interested in learning more, I'd love to talk more about it. And I regularly volunteer with Free Our Girls. Um, I served as the board president for a short time and we need folks to be aware that this is going on in Northern Colorado. Um, and we need volunteers. Megan's organization is only four years old and so we're running on volunteers and donations. And so if anybody wants to get involved, that website is freeourgirls.org. Um, or they can email me at Angie Henderson, um, Angie.Henderson at unco.edu. I'd be happy to chat more about this. I love talking about it.